McEwen wheels in front and was checked. The puck sat there for a moment. Now York is shot. Score! Ken York's first in the natural. And it's 2-1 Philadelphia. This is episode 92 of the Liberty L. Danny Deemer here with Chris Stumpo. As always, how are you, buddy? I'm, I'm doing good, actually. It's been a... It's been a good weekend. We finally got a step in the right direction as Flyers fans. It's a baby step. Like, don't get me wrong. There's still a dark tunnel we have to go down here, but it's the right step, finally. And that's refreshing. I'm not dancing in anybody's grave here, man. But, I mean, is this just not a a breath of fresh air? I mean, I'm sorry. It's a breath of fresh air. Like you said, it's a little step. It's just the beginning. It's the first domino to fall. But, man, it feels like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. It really has. I'm sorry. Yes, Chuck Fletcher has finally been fired. Danny Breer had a press conference today, and some of his quotes, actually, it's funny, because some of his quotes, I was like, if Fletcher said that, I definitely would have been pissed. (laughs) (laughs) But because it's Danny Breer, the new GM, I'll take it. He kind of just played the prototypical things that you would say in an introductory press conference. I mean, the Mm -hmm. only thing that he kind of gave away a little bit was the flair thing when he was asked about brent flair and his future with the team he gave flair a ringing endorsement loved what he does for the team his quote-unquote track record which is still to be seen with flair um and chuck fletcher's drafts previously but i mean that was the one time i think today because i listened to the entire thing that i think we had any kind of insight into what he wants to do because i mean yeah, he said, I'm not afraid to use the word, the word rebuild. But, I mean, that's that's a give me. Uh, he probably came into that press conference thinking, okay, all I have to do is just do what Chuck refused to do, and I won't have the fans calling for my head. You know? It, it was a good press conference, but it wasn't – he didn't give us anything other than the flair thing, which I didn't expect him to. But it, it, it's just a breath of fresh air, in my opinion. Like, I get that Briere has been there and – he was handpicked by the guy we just fired, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, he's not like a 70-year-old guy who won cups back in the 70s. You know what I mean? Like, this is a, a fresh face. And, yeah, he played for the team and blah, blah, blah. You're going to hear that from people. Oh, I don't want a, a former flyer. I'm so sick of that. But I get that. But it's not Bobby Clark. It's not Paul. It's not the not the buddy club that we constantly talk about on this pod. It's fresh faces. It's... Maybe Chris Pronger gets hired as the president of hockey operations, and you have him and Briere as a as a duo. That would be pretty cool. But it's Briere's a young guy, and uh, I I think he's going to be ready for this role. I think he's going to be named a full time GM in the next month or two. They're kind of hinting at it already. Yeah, I mean Briere basically said it today. Like, mm-hmm. hey, yeah, I don't mind the interim tag, but. Yeah, I'm probably going to be named GN. That's what I mean. That's what it seemed like to me. If you read between the lines, but it was good. Like I said, breath of fresh air. Flyers fans are happy, and like you said, you don't like to dance on quote unquote dance on anybody's grave. But like you said before we hit record, it, this was this wasn't out of left field with a hockey stick. You know what I mean? Like, it, this was due for a very long time. So it's exciting for Flyers fans. And it's, they knew it. That's the weirdest part. Yeah. Is like the. After he got fired, all these reports came out. Well, the Flyers plan to to fire him at the end of the season anyway. It's like, well, why did we just have this filler year with like him up there as like a puppet? It made it really made no sense to me. The timing, especially the deadline. Yeah, the timing didn't make sense. I mean, if you really look at it, like, why would you give him the trade deadline? If like was that the final straw for them? 
which I, I mean, I, ref, I mean, it was bad. Don't get me wrong. Oh, I mean, we'll get into the trade deadline soon, but I mean, all you had to do was look at, at the past three years. I mean, this guy, Chuck Fletcher, I'm talking about, took over this team with cap space, top ten farm system, Claude Giroux, Wayne Simmons, Jacob Voracek, and he turned it into a dumpster fire with no cap with. The cap to the ceiling, injured players, just bad moves all around. It's just, I don't know how you can sit there and be like, ugh. It, it, it was time. Like you said, it was way past time for him to go. And It's um, almost like a put him out of his misery kind of thing. Like, I, I texted you the other day. I was like, yeah. shame on this organization for even having him out there still at, at season ticket holder meetings and press conferences yeah. to just get dunked on repeatedly. Even he, I saw him smiling at the season ticket holder meeting while he was getting booed. Like he knew yeah. what was coming. He knew the reaction was going to be poor, and I I just felt like he shouldn't even have been put through that. But nonetheless, it's over. And speaking of the old boys club, there's also been talk that changes could be coming from up there with Dave Scott potentially retiring. Not confirmed, but there was a report on that. Yeah, so, it was um, Anthony Sanfilippo from. Uh, Snow the goalie. He said when the, all this broke, he he broke the initial news, and then after that, he said even bigger changes could be coming to the organizations who to the organization that is looking to fill several holes. Retirements? Question mark. And that's obviously talking about Bobby Clark, Paul Holmgren, Barber, Dave Scott, all those guys up there. So there's definitely more changes to come. We just don't know what they are right now. But I mean, we could sit here and. Give an educated guess, and that's probably going to be Clark and Home. I'm pretty sure there have been rumors about Homegrown thinking about retiring anyway. I'm pretty sure I saw like a couple months ago. I, I could be wrong, but they're probably sick of this shit too. They're probably like, <laughs> we failed. Like this is a, so toxic now at this point. We should just get out of here and enjoy our retirements. Like, w- what person in their like 70s and 80s would want to just go through that, just getting publicly dunked, especially Clark. A guy who was revered by the organization for so long. Like, dude, get out of here before it gets rough. Please. The only old, quote-unquote old guy that I want here is Tortorella. I mean, what, he's 67, I think? I mean, he's the only <laughs> old dude that I'm comfortable with having anywhere near this team right now. I mean, they just need to clean house completely up there. Get rid of Clark. Get rid of Barber. Get rid of Holmgren. Let him retire. Let him do whatever they need to do. But... Fresh faces. And I love the fact that they have come out and said that we're replacing both roles. We're not joining the roles together like Chuck Fletcher had, both GM and and president of, of hockey operations. They are hiring a GM, and then they are hiring a president of, of hockey operations. So I like that. Oh, it's a great thing to do if you have a young GM yeah. who's, who's getting his first like crack at it. It's a great thing to have a buffer in which, between. Which makes me think... The president of, of hockey operation is going to be a guy that has a track record. Like people have thrown out Pronger, and yeah, he has a little bit of experience in front offices. I'm pretty sure he worked with Florida for a little bit. But if Briere is going to be your GM, which I'm like 97% sure he's going to be the full time GM, you would think that they're going to want a little bit more experienced guy on top of ahead of Briere just for the point that you just mentioned with the with how young he is, but we'll see what they do. There are a lot of names out there. I mean, you have uh, Ray Shiro. Did I get that right, or did I just say his dad's name? No, that's him. Okay, that's him. Um, Pronger, obviously. 
Um, I haven't seen too many other guys out there other than those two. Those have like been the main two names that I've seen so far. I saw Lindros thrown around. Lindros. I did see Lindros, and I saw Toluski. I think he works in the Carolinas uh, front office right now. Um, so, yeah, there have been a couple names. Not anything kind of crazy so far. But, I mean, I'm just looking forward to them announcing these next two roles and then really starting to get into – the off season and this draft that's coming up, I mean, it's a huge, huge draft. Like Briar said today, for the organization, like they're really hoping they land a guy that's going to help them for the next fifteen years. You know what I mean? I mean that, and that's what you should draft at five, six, especially in a, a draft this deep. So, like I said, Danny, breath of fresh air. I know you feel good. I feel good. I mean, we, we've said all season, this is the first domino to fall for any fan to start seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. Now you can start looking ahead. Now you can think, all right, well, maybe if Hayes goes at the draft at Columbus, you get that number five or, or potentially higher. I mean, that's another thing we could get into later is the, the potential of that pick, with, with, especially with the rate we keep losing games and teams like Arizona, Vancouver keep winning them or gaining points. But you can start looking towards the light at the end of the tunnel and hopefully getting some guys back from injury, getting some more young guys in here, some old veterans out of here, and finally we could start to get on that upward trend where as a fan you don't feel like you're just wasting your time watching these games every night. So it's definitely an exciting time not compared to, to the rest. Not to completely change, I mean, go off topic of what you just said, but why the fuck would Columbus want Hayes? Like, why was that a thing? Dude, I'm not complaining. Listen. Uh, no, not listen. at all. But, like, why? <laughs> I have no idea. It makes no... <laughs> it absolutely makes no sense, especially if there's not, like, a crazy salary retention involved. I, I mean, I, I will take it all day. All day. Yeah, that just that doesn't really make sense to me at all. Like, maybe Colorado would would have been interested at the trade deadline but couldn't make things work because, because of money and, hey, we'll return to that talk when the draft comes around, but... I'm looking at my phone and reporters are reporting that Columbus? Like, I, I understand that they're probably going to land. They are going to land a top three, top four pick. They're going to get a stud. Probably either Bedard or Fantilli. So you got Bedard. You got either Bedard or Fantilli, Lane, Goudreau. I mean, you got a pretty good team over there. So I could understand why you would want to add a guy that could play your 3C role on a nice little contract if we retain money. But... It was just a little shocking to me. To it's also weird that they said that the talks originated at the deadline. Like, why were they trying to get him at the deadline? That's also kind of weird. Like, the offseason's one thing. I don't know. But they try, They started these talks at the deadline, and there was some heat to it. That's that's kind of strange. Like, what is Columbus? I wonder if Columbus has an issue where they have Goudreau, Line, a lot of great offensive forwards. But not a, They're not so great in their own zone, and they're just looking at an all-star two-way forward that they can get. And much like Chuck Fletcher a few years ago, maybe they're just strapped at their options and they're desperate and they're trying to get Kevin Hayes. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I just maybe – It's weird just... timing. It doesn't fit their timeline one bit. But like I'll you said, that. like you said, Danny, I am not fucking complaining. If you oh, want to take it. Kevin Hayes off our hands, by all means, do it. I mean, you know that's going to be – him and Provorov are gone. I mean, if you read between the lines with what's been going on for the last two months, those two guys, despite Tortorello actually liking Provorov. I mean, I think Provorov's the one guy on that defensive core who hasn't been healthy scratched this year, other than Risto maybe. 
I think, because Sanheim's been scratched, D'Angelo's been scratched, Sealer's obviously been in and out of the lineup, Braun too. So yeah, Pro Rob and Aristo, I think they're the only two guys who haven't been healthy scratched, but with the writing on the wall from, from what I've seen the last couple of months, it, it's going to be Pro Rob and Hayes as the two main guys that will go in this summer. So we'll see what they, what Briere could get in return for them. Yeah, isn't that weird to say? Yeah, it is. I, I was just <laughs> last night. It was just weird to think about to me. I was like, Danny Briere is really the GM. That's crazy. My favorite player growing up, other than Claude Giroux. Yeah, I mean, I remember. I, I literally remember him playing. Like growing up, watching him playing. It's crazy that he's the GM now. It is, and the the, the press conference, like watching him speak today, was like I just said. It was weird. Like it was just. I'm used to you scoring goals in the playoff, not as my GM, but. It is cool. And if he brings us back to glory, I mean, what a story that is in itself. That's what, uh, I think it was Drunk Gritty on Twitter. He was like, the year's 2025, and the Flyers are about to land the number one seed, and they're up 5-3 against Pittsburgh, and the camera pans to Danny Briere, and the shouts just start shouting, the fans just start shouting, Daddy B, Daddy B. And I was like, oh, that'd be perfect. (laughs) The, the, The hype videos that could be made. Already thinking about it. I mean, you would be on on the ball with that one. But speaking of Danny Briere and Chuck Fletcher being fired, we have Anthony DeMarco joining us. Anthony was on the ball with this Chuck Fletcher news the day, the morning before it happened, I'm pretty sure. He was like 1 o'clock in the morning. We're getting texts, uh, not texts, twi- uh, tweets from Anthony saying that there's something happening in the Flyers world, and he was right. So, Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Ah, thanks for having me, boys, and I appreciate the kind words. Uh, very hectic week. Right. Kind of glad it's over. It was a lot of fun while it was going on, but uh, yeah, kind of glad that it's over. It, uh, I, I'm enjoying my sleep again, let's put it that way. <laughs> I'm sure you are. From the draft, I mean, not, not the draft, the, the trade deadline, followed by the Chuck Fletcher crazy news. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're tired, absolutely. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I was actually just telling my fiance this because she's just like, you know, like, babe, like you're, you're working a lot and all this. And I said that I'd actually told my boss, uh, Dave Pagnota, before, like, I think it was last Monday following the trade deadline. I'm just like, dude, I'm going to take a week or so off. I'm going to just kind of unplug. Maybe I'll just do some like opinion pieces on whatever, but I'm going to like kind of unplug from like the digging and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And then this shitstorm really, the party kind of got started on Tuesday is when I really started hearing everything and started digging and then it really boiled over into the wee hours of Friday. And I actually didn't even sleep on uh, Thursday night. So I was up for like a good 30 hours. And then uh, obviously the Inquirer officially broke the news. There's some things I could say about that, but I won't out of uh, professionalism. But uh, all in all, it was a crazy, crazy time. And I think most people are happy with uh, what ultimately went down uh, early Friday morning. I mean, you were on the ball. You had our group chat jumping every day. So hats off to you, man. Well, I really appreciate the kind words. It's uh, obviously not as easy when you're not a local outlet and you don't live in the same city, the same state, the same country, obviously. But I am in the same uh, continent, so I have that that much going for me. But, uh, yeah, I really appreciate the kind words, and I'm happy I was able to give you guys uh, some positive news uh, going into the weekend. Absolutely, absolutely. But me and Danny were just talking about Chuck and everything that transpired, and 
the one thing that always came up in the conversation was the timing of it. And obviously Chuck <coughs> Fletcher was on the way out. Everybody that follows the Flyers knew that. But just the fact that it was right after the trade deadline and not at the end of the season, it was just what could you what can you say about the timing of this? The timing of it is basically a direct result because of the reaction to the trade deadline. And and I've said this numerous times over the last eight, nine days since the deadline came and went, that like the future of the Flyers of the Flyers was not dependent on Chuck Fletcher trading a f- JVR for a fourth or fifth round pick. Like, let's be honest. That non-trade ultimately will be rather inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. But like has been the biggest issue with Chuck Fletcher going back to last summer, June, July, is the optics. And I think that Chuck Fletcher almost, and I'm not going to sit here and say he was a good general manager. He failed. We all know that. But I think Chuck Fletcher looked so much worse because he continuously shot himself in the foot. And, you know, like I had someone tell me uh, last week that like, they would be like at times pulling their hair out because Chuck would just go out there like a buffoon and inadvertently gaslight fans. And he would. And, you know, for for all that Chuck did bad, you know, people have called me like a, we can swear on this show, right? Um, <laughs> just just to confirm. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, like I've had people call me like a Fletcher dick rider or like, oh, you're just uh, gobbling his balls or you're whatever. And I'm just like, you know what? It's because... I have a hard time personally smearing someone that I know to be a very good man and a very good person. And look, that doesn't mean you get to keep your job. You know, my grandmother, I like to think, is one of the nicest women on the planet, but I don't want her running to be like the head of Canada. You know what I mean? I get that. So you don't get you don't keep your job based on being a nice person. But he I've had people tell me, like, you know what he's done over the last 18 months have made my life a, a living hell, but I'll still always vote for him as a person. But oh, over the last couple months, specifically the last couple weeks, especially his comments before the deadline, he really kind of kept shooting himself in the foot to the point where the optics were just so bad. And then obviously after the deadline, after the town hall, it just boiled over to the point where Dave Scott and ownership said, you know what, I just I don't think that we can do this any longer. And I think that's more of a testament to what I've been saying for a long time here. And what I was told last week is like, yeah, Chuck Fletcher needed to go. He was a part of the problem. But this overhaul has to go well beyond Chuck Fletcher. And I think the fact that the timing was so indecisive going back to December is indicative of that. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that we talked about, me and Danny, before you hopped on, because, I mean, this is just the, the first domino. Everybody knows that. There are other changes apparently coming. Anthony Sanfilippo, when he tweeted all this out and all this was being talked about, he also followed it up with the organization is looking to fill other several holes, retirements, question mark, and obviously you think of Barber, you think of Clark, you think of Holmgren, and, and them possibly retiring. So our other dominoes going to fall within the next couple of months? I mean, that's what everyone would think, right? I think that everyone, and I'm not going to include the coaching staff, right? Because I think they're kind of like out of like uh, harm's way because they are so new. And John Tortorella basically has carte blanche here and he'll use himself as a, as a human shield if it takes. Yes, he will. But I th- Exactly. So I think everyone in that front office 
not named Danny Briere should be fearful of their positions. And that includes Dave Scott. Now, do I think Dave Scott's going to get fired? No, but I would be willing to bet a large sum of money that he, quote unquote, retires before the start of next season. And what I was also told, and something that I wrote in my article on Wednesday morning, was that Dan Hilferty's appointment as the new CEO of Spectacor should not be looked at as a coincidence. He is a big power broker in the area. And I've already told and I've been told that he's already started to, you know, introduce himself to everyone around the organization. And Danny Briere in his in his media availability today referred to Dave and Dan. So we already know that Dan Hilferty is going to be playing a big role. And I you know, I asked someone the other day, like, would it be fair to say that he's spearheading this? I think that was maybe like an overstatement that was more speculation on my part. And the person I spoke to said, but he's definitely coming in here to really look over things. And I think things are going to be changed in a big way. And in the case of the the advisors, you know, I was told that specifically Bill Barber and Paul Holmgren are the ones that are maybe around a bit too often given their roles as advisors i was i asked you know one person like hey do you even know what dean lombardi does and then i was told no nobody knows what the fuck he does around here so (laughs) i I do think you know i do think that there has to be a big seismic shift in the way that upper management runs things and i think we're going to get that and aside from danny briere and this even goes to the likes of you know brent flair uh, Barry Hanrahan, who runs the salary cap, maybe do a lesser degree, guys like Tom Minton and Alan McCauley. I think everyone should be watching their backs closely here, unless your name is Danny Briere. Speaking of Flair, he's actually one of the guys that Briere gave him a ringing endorsement to. So I personally, I was, I, I walked, not walked out, I shut that live stream off thinking, okay, Briere is obviously safe, and I think Flair's safe too considering what Briere just said about him. And maybe that was just Briere coming out and trying to give uh, Flair a, a nice little two two words kind of thing. But I don't know. I kind of read into it as Flair safe and he might still be running this draft coming up kind of thing. Well, look, I've always vouched for Brent Flair. I think he's an amazing talent evaluator. And I do think that when we look back on the Chuck Fletcher era two, three years from now, we're going to say, like, you know what? There wasn't a lot of success. There were some bad moves, but like they drafted fairly well. And I think that's a direct result of Brett Flair being so good at what he does. And I think that you've even seen that in Minnesota. Like, sure, they turned the corner after Chuck Fletcher left, but you see a lot of the guys that are still cornerstones of that team and Spurgeon and Brodeen and Dumba and Kaprizov, Erickson Eck. Like, these are all Brent Flair draft picks. And I do think that Chuck Fletcher and Brent Flair, for all their faults, were very good drafters. But, you know, I think that Brent Flair will ultimately end up being a casualty. And I think it's kind of unfair, but it's kind of like a guilty by association thing. Like, I do think Danny Briere was genuine in his comments with, with all my limited dealings with Danny Briere. Like, I haven't spoken to him more than a handful of times here and there. But I've always gotten the sense from Briere that, you know, him and Brett Flair work, for, work together. But, I mean, so I think that Brand, Danny Briere is very genuine in his comments. But at the end of the day, let's be honest, Danny Briere isn't going to be 
you know, making every decision as it pertains to hockey ops. I do think he will end up becoming the general manager when when all is said and done and that interim tag will be removed. But obviously, he's not going to be the owner or the owner apparent like a Hilferty or Scott. And I don't think he's going to be end up being the president. And I think that Danny Breer is the only guy in hockey ops right now that has the full backing of the business side in Comcast. So that's why I think that unfortunately, and I say unfortunately because I think Brent Flair brings a lot of value to the team, I think he will ultimately end up being a casualty. Which is a shame. To talk yeah. back on um, Chuck Fletcher, on your Twitter, you mentioned a conversation you had with a team executive outside of Philadelphia, and he believed that Johnny Gaudreau, or the failure to acquire Johnny Gaudreau, was the final straw in Chuck Fletcher's tenure. Do you believe that was the case here and that the Flyers believe that as well? Uh, I don't I don't think so. And th- this executive that I was speaking to was basically talking like the league-wide view on what was going on because it was like the worst kept secret in the world that Johnny Gaudreau didn't w- or was willing to take a discount and would have given the Flyers probably a very good market value and wanted to come here. Like everybody's known that for the last several years. And this executive told me that from his vantage point, like that was the beginning of the end. And look, from a Flyers in-house standpoint, I don't think so. I think that I will still stand by that it was the ultimately best move, even if Chuck Fletcher kind of fell ass backwards into it. The result was the best outcome, especially given what we know now and them entering rebuild. But I think that the clock kind of started once the season went off the rails. And, I, you know, we know that it was close in December but we know that Dave Scott was swayed by the advisors and, you know, the moderate success the Flyers had coming out of the holiday break. I think they went 10-4-2 between the holiday break and the All-Star break. And I think that just kind of speaks to the misdirection at the very top of the organization. Like, what, a 15-game sample size is going to sway you one way or the other on who's heading up your hockey ops? Like, that's kind of speaks to the bigger issue that has been at hand here. Against but the opponents as well. Yeah, that's that's it. Like you, you, and but I think it speaks to the fact. Like, why is Dave Scott the guy making a decision on who's running the hockey ops? Like, he's not, a, he's not a hockey guy, and that's fine. Like, I'm not gonna you know criticize the guy, but it's not his background, and it's just never made sense to me that the general manager is in direct contact with the owner. Like, it, it makes no sense. Like, I've drawn the comparison countless times, but what you see in Toronto that's owned by a telecommunications conglomerate like Comcast in Canada, you don't hear their top executive dealing with Kyle Dubas. That's why Brendan Shanahan's there. But to kind of go back with the top executive question that you brought it to, I think that from a league-wide perspective, because Fletcher and Dave Scott had voiced the aggressive retool thing, something that Chuck Fletcher, I believe, admitted publicly was a stupid comment to make, I think everyone was just like, so you want to spin this around in short order, but then you pass on one of the best wingers in the game who's willing to give you a discount to go there. And I think everyone around the league was just kind of like waiting for the shoe to drop ever since the summer. But internally, I think it was way more kind of like back and forth because of Dave Scott's, um, I guess, uh, indetermination. Not that my opinion matters on this <laughs> end or, or when I thought personally the the shoe was just going to drop with him but when when Tortorella came out I think it was a month ago or maybe a little bit more than that and 
gave the this is a kind of a rebuild speech and they kind of let Tortorello talk instead of it being Chuck Fletcher kind of thing. That was when I was like, okay, they know they know that Chuck Fletcher can't come out here and say this because of the rebuttal that would follow. So they're letting Tortorello uh, say this. That's fine and all, but at the same time, you're doing that knowing for a fact that you cannot put your GM's name on that. So, I mean, right there, you're already dead in the water. Like, it's just, he, his word mean has no, holds no water with the fans anymore. And you know that. And Danny said that before we invited you on. Like, this was something that was coming for weeks, I mean, for months and months and months. And everybody knew it. And that was just kind of when I was like, okay, yeah, I don't think this organization has any kind of belief in Chuck anymore. If they're letting him, if they're letting Tortorella go out there and say it, knowing that they can't put it in Chuck's name because of obvious reasons, it was just like, okay, just do it at this point, kind of thing. Yeah, I don't think you're off with that. But one interesting thing that I heard on Friday or Wednesday, all the days are kind of bleeding into each other at this point. But, you know, I've been going back to the summer, and you guys follow me so you know this, that I've been saying that although they fell ass backwards into this and they don't deserve credit for a, a properly executed strategy, strategized plan, I do think the end result, maybe save for the Tony D'Angelo trade, was good going back to last summer. Because let's be honest, guys, like trying to get this team back into a playoff spot finally last year was delusional. We all knew this. And again, Chuck Fletcher kind of alluded to it that, you know, when Katori got hurt and Ryan Ellis got hurt and all this shit, we all kind of realized, like, yo, this, this thing's done, guys. Yeah. Like, it's over. And that's why, you know, even, like, my, my podcast partner, Dan, on Brotherly Pod would, like, scream and shout. And I have so much respect for Jeb because he's just genuine in his philosophical belief that they should add to this team. But I'd always say to him, just like, dude, I'm sorry. Like, they made the right decision here, even if they fell ass backwards into this. So in terms of, uh, sorry, oh, yeah, the, 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 the Chuck Fletcher thing. Is like I was just like, but did they maybe try and execute a rebuild coming into this season? And I was told last week that no, Dave Scott and Chuck Fletcher both had no idea what the organizational direction should be coming into this year. That's awesome. And it was it's crazy. And I was told that they're both very weak personalities, and they don't have like that that sternness to put their foot down and be like, this is what we're doing. And John Tortorella essentially came in and bullied them and just like, no, there's nothing here. Yeah. Like, God, it was so something, it, and it's crazy, right? And like, that's Chuck Fletcher's bad, for sure, but it's also Dave Scott's bad. Because if you're just letting a guy kind of just do whatever he wants and like go wherever the wind's blowing, like, that's on you. If you're the final decision maker on hockey ops, which Dave Scott is, the, in my opinion, the, the blame should lie more at your feet, and that's why... And I said the same thing about Alain Vigneault 16 months ago, when everyone wanted him fired. And I said, you can fire AV, I don't give a shit. But if you think that AV is going to get fired, thrown out of town, and the clouds are going to part, and this thing's going to be awesome with Mike Yo steering the ship, like, you guys got another thing coming. And that's exactly what happened, and that's kind of what I've been saying about Chuck Fletcher, too. Is, yes, a part of the problem, yes, he has to go, but unfortunately it is even bigger than um than chuck fletcher and i think the difference now as opposed to when av went is that 
the organization realizes that. And it's not just you're going to slide Danny Breer in there and he's going to still be answering to Dave Scott, who have the advisors in his ear. It's going to be Danny Breer there, but with an entire new staff around him and a new president on top of him. And as far as the whole rebuilding thing goes, you know, good for John Tortorella, who came in and I think he knew that he had carte blanche to do whatever the hell he wanted. But the the fact that they came into the season not knowing whether or not what the organizational direction was going to be, I think speaks to a much bigger issue than just Chuck Fletcher. It's, it's incredibly frustrating to hear that, to hear how long it took this. It took this organization, basically the Rangers taking over the build, Rangers fans taking over the building, that disaster of a season ticket holder meeting to finally commit to that direction that I feel like the fan base wanted them to commit two years ago. But yeah, and, and, and not to cut you off, but I find it insane. And look, again, the end result is good. Chuck Fletcher's gone, and they're doing an, over, uh, an overhaul of the entire organization. But is it not asinine that this was at the hand of fan optics? Like, it's, it's because of optics that this is happening. Yep. It's not really on the heels of bad transactions. Like, like I've said, save for Tony D'Angelo, which isn't even really that bad of a move, because I think in a year's time from now, when he he's on an expiring deal, you'll probably be able to recoup the assets you got back from. The last 10 months, there hasn't really been any monumentally bad deal. You know, like even the Ristolainen one has aged decently because you've turned him into like a solid top 4D. And even when you are rebuilding, you need decent stabilizers beside young defensemen like Cam York. Like we saw what happened with Andrew McDonald and Ivan Provorov or like, you know, Radko Gudis and Travis Sanheim, like stuff like that. So, like, it wasn't even on the heels of bad hockey decisions. Like, they even got the right coach in all of this. It's been the optics. And look, like, again, I'm not saying a a move didn't have to be made. Absolutely. But I do find that it speaks to the the, the needed overhaul of this organization that they're making major, major decisions based on fan vitriol. Like, it is kind of crazy to think about it that way. It is. It is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, have you heard anything about a potential Kevin Hayes move in the offseason? There's been a lot of smoke with that dating back to the deadline. I've seen Columbus mention, and it's just been a big talking point around Flyers social media lately, and I just wonder if you had any information on that as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I was told back in early January that they were going to look to move Kevin Hayes, and even Elliot Friedman on 32 Thoughts has mentioned that there was a lot of groundwork uh, laid with Columbus, and I'd actually you know, half speculated, half heard about Columbus, and I put it out in a tweet in February. And I I would, I'm fairly confident that Kevin Hayes will not be a Philadelphia Flyer next year, because I think that if you make Kevin Hayes a $4.75 million player, and I've heard that they're going to probably retain a third on it, which given the fact that they're entering rebuild, who really gives a damn, yeah. I think that you, there's value for Kevin Hayes. And obviously, He's tight with uh, with Johnny Gaudreau, as we know. I'm pretty sure he has a very good relationship with Rick Nash, who works in the Columbus organization. So I would be fairly shocked at this point that if Kevin Hayes is in a flyer uniform, and I think Columbus is a decent landing spot because of his personal connections and because of the fact that that team could use some veteran centers. So, uh, And that, that's one decent thing, at least, is that maybe he laid some groundwork from, for some bigger deals on his way out. But, I mean, uh, yeah, I think Kevin Hayes is a guy that's uh, not going to be around next year. 
we were actually talking about how it's kind of weird that Columbus would be the team that would be in on him. I, I heard Ca- Carolina around trade deadline time was a team as well. But at the same time, I, I mean, I do think it's weird that they were in on him. But at the same time, Columbus never expected to be this bad going into the season. I mean, they got absolutely railed with injuries at the beginning of the season. I'm pretty sure Blankenberg, oh uh, no, Blankenship, their defenseman, was playing on a broken leg against yeah. us. Like, he was like the only healthy defenseman on the team. Like, I, Obviously, they didn't think they were going to be that bad, but at the same time, do they think they're going to like turn it around with this top three pick and, hey, let's be able to add Hayes on a good, decent contract as, as a veteran guy kind of thing? Like, that's the only way I can... Uh, just make it make sense in my head because Columbus being in on him, yeah, if we eat money, it's a decent contract because he's not a bad player, but it's just the contract that he's on. So uh, they must think they're going to turn it around next year, huh? Yeah, I believe so. And, you know, you you know Zach Warinsky's been out for how long, yeah. right? And he's probably far and away their best uh, defenseman. And if you look at the moves that they made last summer, you know, you sign Sean Corrali to a three-year contract. You sign Johnny Gaudreau to a seven-year contract. You sign Eric Branson to a four-year, $16 million a year contract. You you extend Patrick Laine four years at a shade under yep. $9 million. Like this, you don't do that if you think you're entering a rebuild, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, they got absolutely destroyed and freight trained by injuries. And it was probably an overvaluation by Yarmu Kekalainen and their front office. But then you look at that they have David Juracek coming, who looks like he's going to be a stud blue liner in this league, a guy who's going to fit very nicely next to Zach Warinsky. You look at whatever pick they're going to get this year, and even if they fall all the way to number three, you're probably going to get an Adam Fantilli or a Michkov or a Leo Carlson. So you're going to get a very good player in that regard. And then you look at some of the young players that are already playing on their roster, like a Cole Sillinger and a Ken Johnson. So this is a team that's really not that far away in terms of Stanley Cup contention, I, I like that I'm not sure about. I think their goaltending situation has to be resolved, especially given the fact that they traded Corpusalo and Elvis Merzlikens has had such a rough go of it since the death of that other goaltender. I think yeah. it was Matisse Kozlekskis. I apologize that I'm butchering the name. But so they really have to figure out that goaltending situation long term. But I look at this and some of the young talent they have, the injuries that they battled, assuming they get healthy next year, you plop into Kevin Hayes and imagine if you do get a Connor Bedard, maybe you have something cooking, maybe not Stanley Cup contention right away, but I could get the standpoint or their vision that this isn't a team entering a rebuild and could probably be turned around rather quickly. Kent Johnson is a really good player. I completely forgot about him until you mentioned him. That honestly pisses me off. Like they have a really really good team if they stay healthy next year. Um real quick on the Hayes thing just to finish it up. If they do end up trading Hayes or if they continue talks with Columbus for Hayes, do you think Jack uh, Roslovic is a guy that could potentially come back? He's younger, makes 4 million dollars. I I've seen him go up and down on their lineup and I mean, could he be a guy that could come back cuz I I mean, I like the skill set he has. Uh, I, it's funny that you bring up Jack Roslovic, and I'm, I'm friendly with a with a writer down there, and I've been told that he has a really bad attitude, like oh, very no. spook. Yeah. So, and I was, and I'd heard that he didn't mesh too well with John Tortorella. I do like the player. I like the skill set. Twenty six years old, he would fit kind of the mold of what they're trying to go for here. But you know, I don't think the Flyers are going to be 
in the market to bring anyone in here unless you're under 25 years old. And I don't think they're really going to be looking to take on salary. And Jack Roslovic has a $4 million cap hit. And if you're retaining, uh, I would imagine they're going to retain somewhere in the neighborhood of two to two and a half million dollars on Kevin Hayes. You're pretty much then only going to be, you know, freeing up a million bucks on the salary cap. So if I had to guess, I would say no. Maybe you bring back a lesser player. But I think this is something where the Flyers are just really going to target cap flexibility and draft capital. Like, I really think that they're going to try and get back into the second round one way or another. I think that if you retain money on Kevin Hayes, maybe you were able to get, you know, a second round pick. You know, this is just speculation on my part, you know, to connecting the dots on the Flyers goaltending situation and, uh, and the Jackets goaltending situation. I wonder if maybe they throw in Felix Sandstrom. As like, oh, here's a guy that's, you know, maybe a, uh, the lower end of the backup, but probably is a NHL-level goaltender, kind of, maybe has some potential, who knows. I could see something in that regard, and I'm pretty sure Anthony Sanfilippo was the one to report this, that they were pretty confident that the Jackets were going to claim Sandstrom if they were to have put him on waivers this year. So I, if I was a betting man, I would say no Jack Roslovic because of his ticket and what I've heard about him as a person. And obviously, John Tortorella could speak to that firsthand in their uh, in their team meetings. I just really think they're going to target draft capital. Makes sense. I was just kind of a shot in the dark because I do like his skill set. He's oh, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. But I, I honestly did forget that he was with Torts in Columbus for a little bit there. So yeah. The the, the way you framed it with Columbus uh, honestly provided a lot of clarity for me because, like Stumpo said before you came on, we were just really speaking to. How we didn't think it made much sense for Columbus to go after Hayes, but mentioning those relationships with Johnny Goudreau and Rick Nash, and and to be fair, I did think they would be a better team than what we saw due to the oh, injuries. Yeah. So now that you said all that, it definitely provided a lot of clarity for me on it. If we're being honest, I'm sitting here being, I mean, I'm kind of jealous of Columbus. I mean, they're going to get a top oh, three yeah. pick. They got Johnny Goudreau, they got Patrick Laine, they got Boquist, they got Wierenski, they got a good goalie. Kent and Johnson. Was a tough break in Voracek as well. That's yeah. very tough. Yeah, tough uh, situation. You hate to hearing see for that. Jake. Um, but uh, yeah, they're just a team that uh, they could be good next year. Like not just oh, we'll fight for a playoff. Like I, I if, if everything goes right for them next year, like they could be like fourth or fifth seed. Like seriously, like they're gonna be my sleeper team to make the playoffs next year if everything goes right. Yeah, especially when you look at what's happening in the Metropolitan Division with kind of like the descent of, well, the Flyers weren't descending from much, but you look at Washington, you look at Pittsburgh, like you still have those teams that I think are going to still remain relatively stable, like the Rangers, the Hurricanes, the Devils. But, you know, I like I wouldn't be surprised in the least that uh, if um, if they were better than the Islanders next year by any sort like that's a very old team yeah. i know that they're really starting to pick up some steam now and i expect them to get in the wild card spot but i don't know if what lou lambrell has built in long island is sustainable at all so it makes sense and look you put let's say connor bedard next to patrick line and get something to wake patrick line out of the the slog he's been in for the last three years and then you put kevin hayes next to his best pal johnny gaudreau on your second line and you insulate them with guys like sillinger and roslovic and um, kent johnson boone jenner's your captain your third line center you get 
Warinsky back, you pair him with Yurchek, Bockfist on the back end as your second pair guy. Like, if you start to see kind of like the framework of a team that could be really dangerous, and it's kind of clouded right now because of just the dreadful season they've had, and they're in the bottom of the NHL. But if you really look at the team and what they have coming and what some moves could break their way, and if they could stay healthy, obviously that is paramount above all else. You really think that this could work for Columbus sooner rather than later. I, uh, I think they're going to be good next year. Absolutely, I agree. Before I ask you about Cutter Gauthier and what you think happens with him, I want to talk about a trade. Danny, I, I don't know if you saw the trade or anything like that, but the one trade in this trade deadline, which was a historic trade deadline, by the way, insane trade deadline, Toronto trading Rasmus Sandin to Washington, which I have loved what Washington has done this trade deadline. They, I, I think they have handled this trade deadline and them going into the offseason absolutely beautifully. I mean, they unloaded Hathaway and Orlov. They got a first-round pick back for that. And then you bring in Rasmus Sandin, who is a top-four defenseman on this on in this league. Like He wasn't getting the minutes with Toronto for obvious reasons. I mean, you got some really good players over there, but... That trade is just Washington. Like a round of applause to Washington. That that is just a hell of a a hell of a deal by their GM, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it worked out for both sides because, look, obviously I'm very close to Toronto. I hear a lot, a lot about what goes on there, and I think that what Toronto figured was that they just had too much of the same on that back end. And, you know, you had a puck mover in Morgan Riley, you had a puck mover in Razor Sandy, and you kind of had the puck mover in Timothy Logren. And especially when Jake Muzzin went down, they wanted kind of a, a replacement and the best possible facsimile for Jake Muzzin. And they go get that with Jake McCabe. They get uh, the Chicago Blackhawks to chew on 50% of his contract. And now they have Jake McCabe at $2 bucks until 2025, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Rasmus Sandin on that left side, and, you know, he was a guy who held out on uh, signing his his contract extension as an RFA this summer because he was a guy that felt like he wasn't going to get an opportunity in Toronto. Yeah. And I think that's the case. And I think you look at Toronto and you pretty much have your top four locked and loaded for the foreseeable future here beyond this year with Morgan Riley, Timothy Logren, TJ Brody, and Jake McCabe. And, you know, I don't think Rasmus Sandin really wants to you know, limit himself to being a third-pairing defenseman for the foreseeable future. And then from the Toronto Maple Leafs' point of view, they're able to flip him, still get an NHL-caliber defenseman back in Eric Gustafson, who has had a very good year offensively and has improved his game defensively as well. So you have that kind of fallback option in case of an injury, and you recoup a first-round pick. And I'm sure you guys know what uh, Toronto's traded away at this year's deadline and going back in past years, but I'm sure that's certainly a welcomed addition by their amateur scouting staff. And for Washington, you know, you get a guy who's going to be a fixture on that blue line for probably the next decade. You know, they trade away a lot of guys. I know they re-up Trevor Van Riemsdyk either today or yesterday. But, you know, at the time of that trade, the only defense that they had signed beyond this season was John Carlson. So you bring in Rasmus Sandin. I guess you could plug him beside John Carlson for the foreseeable future. And he's young as well. And what are the chances that Boston's first-round pick this year is going to result into a better player than Rasmus Sandin is? And you get him right away. So I think it's a good trade for both sides, to be honest. Well, Toronto ends up with Luke Shen. So Toronto wins the entire (laughs) thing just because of that. I mean... He's a. I mean, he's had a good year this year, actually. So I mean, that's not a bad move. 
they have nine defensemen on that team. Morgan Riley, TJ Brody, Justin Hall, Jake McCabe, Tim- uh, Timothy Lilligren, Luke Shen, Connor Timmons, Mark Giordano, and then Eric Gustafson. I mean, they are ready for the they playoffs. They really want to beat the Lightning. <laughs> <laughs> and they might get kicked out of the first round against hey, the Lightning. Hey, hey, you, you don't know. You don't know. We'll see. But and that's not fun. even counting. That's not even counting Jordy Benton. And Victor Mete, who's on LTIR. So you pretty much are 11 defensemen deep in terms of NHL-capable bodies here. And, I mean, good on Kyle Dubas, to be honest. Like, there's nothing more than a general manager could have done than what he's done this year. And he's a lame duck GM, right? So he's completely swinging for the fences. It's actually a really good point. You, uh, I was listening to Steve Dangle's podcast last week, and he said just that. I mean, if they get kicked out first round... You can't really look at Dubas and blame him. I mean, what else is he supposed to do? He he he's putting the the players around his skill players that he thinks complement them well. Like Luke Shen is a complimentary complimentary play, uh, player down on your third pair. Uh, Bunting uh, they traded for Jan Kroc. Uh, there there's a lot of guys that just scream like roles kind of player, and I, I really don't think there's anything else he could have done to do that. Yeah, and kind of like what I've mentioned about, you know, Chuck Fletcher here, about him kind of following marching orders to an extent, not to say that Dave Scott was deciding who to claim off waivers, but in terms of icing a competitive team. And and I'm pretty sure that Dave Scott was the one at that press conference 14 months ago to say aggressive retool or implied, and then Chuck said, I can't completely remember how the chips fell ultimately. But people don't realize that that's Brendan Shanahan given the organizational philosophy. He's the one that said we're building around and we're sticking with Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares. And it's Kyle Dubas's job to work around that philosophy and get the necessary pieces to try and maximize that philosophy to the best possible. So, I mean, like, it's not his fault that they've decided to go with these four players for all these years. Yeah. He's the guy that's tried to insulate this piece, these uh, pieces and if you're a guy that's stuck with that philosophy, and it's not a bad philosophy, like I'll never, you know, you know, bet against, you know, building your team around four highly skilled forwards. But in today's flat salary cap, it's very tough committing 50% of your salary cap to four guys. Yeah. But in the confines of that type of philosophy and salary cap structure and roster construction, I think Kyle Lewis has done the best possible job. And honestly, I I hope they do advance the first round. I mean, I think Leaf fans deserve some kind of success. Given... I want a game seven. I want the dramatics of a game seven, just because I know that fan base would explode. And like you said, Anthony, it's not normal for for that way for that to be the way you build a hockey team, especially in the salary cap era that we're in. But I agree. I I, I wouldn't be like, no, I don't want William Nylander, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, and Austin Matthews. I mean, you you make do with what you have, and like you said, I think Dubas has done literally all he can. I mean, now, if I'm Dubas, I'm walking into that locker room and being, all right, boys, it's up to you now. Go play, you know? Yeah, and to their credit, they signed all those contracts before COVID hit. And, I mean, when you were signing these contracts and – you know, in the case of John Tavares, 2018, in the case, and William Nylander as well, and in the case of Matthews and Marner, 2019, you know, if you were projecting to 2023 back then, you're probably just like, oh, the salary cap's probably going to be in the mid 90 millions. So you probably were thinking that you were getting those guys at a bargain, especially maybe Mitch Marner, and especially now William Nylander at a shade under $7 million. But when the cap has raised $2 million bucks in almost four years, 
it's tough and it's really tough and look being in toronto has allowed them to get guys on better contracts a hundred percent you know mark giordano making less than a million dollars to play there is absolutely crazy then you make a very you make a very shrewd move to bring in a guy like jake mccabe at 50 percent for the foreseeable future they have michael bunting under contract until the end of this year i believe him too he's at like nine hundred thousand or whatever so they, i gotta give them credit they've done a really good job and made some shrewd decisions contract wise but it does feel like this is the last year for this group and probably kyle dubas is a general manager i agree absolutely i think it's their last run couldn't agree more and like you you look back to the flyers as well and like kind of tie it back with them it's like you know like i've been beating this drum post 2020 is enough for me to say playoff bubble when they lost in new york islanders and i know that was the first year of av and chuck fletcher but in terms of that group the Giroux, the vorchecks the couturiers i guess to an extent as well the lawtons and the connectnees i thought that should have been the final straw but i think that we've heard yeah, dave scott's like and you heard dave scott bring it up numerous times that he kept leaning on 2019 20 2019 20 2019 20. well you know what like maybe if Giroux, Vorchek, and all those guys were still in their mid-20s and they hadn't gone through so many losing seasons i could have maybe subscribed to that but i think that's something that had to be realized two calendar years ago maybe yeah. something that toronto's realizing if this year doesn't work that was easily the most frustrating part about Chuck Fletcher's tenure here. It was his inability to realize where the organization was and his weird obsession with just putting Band-Aids to try to capture Drew's last couple years with the Flyers. It was just so frustrating, and I'm so happy. Actually, not happy to watch a guy lose his job, but it's I'm so happy that we're going to— relieved. Yeah, relieved. I'm happy that— we're going to get a fresh start. All these guys in the front offices, are, are they're not going to be here. Briere's going to be surrounded with a veteran president of, president of hockey ops and just completely different people in that front office. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it. It's just It's giving me a sliver of hope, Anthony. It's giving me a sliver of hope. And if we're being honest here, and I guess this is the only reason why I've ever cut Chuck Fletcher like some slack, is that even in the way he was hired, it was so unconventional and done on a whim where like I've heard through the grapevine that Ron Hextall was fired. I believe it was November 28th, 2018, because following a, just an ass kicking to the Leafs on Hockey Night in Canada on a Saturday night. And I, I and I think I've heard this through grapevine, so don't take my word on it. But I heard that it culminated because he told Dave Scott, don't tell me how to run a fucking hockey team. And then the hammer came down and he was gone. So you fire Ron Hextall, who had complete autonomy on hockey operations, even though Holmgren was president, at the end of November, on a whim, with no concrete plan, and then obviously you're overhauling your management team and your front office in the middle of the season in early December, and it came down to, I think there was one more guy involved, but it was mainly between Fletcher and Bill Zito. And you go with Fletcher because of his experience and obviously his ties with the Flyers front office and Bob Clark. And to be honest, I know everybody like thinks Zito some like hockey god, but like I'm not overly impressed with what he's done with the Florida Panthers either. So I don't think either of them would have been great additions. But then you remember that he's brought in, and I will always remember this, with the bias for action. That's what everyone attached to him because he came in and Holmgren and Dave Scott said, your plan, like not word for word, obviously, but he was tasked with saving the Ron Hextall plan. And you've heard other people reference this before, but 
I remember Fletcher when he's just like, you know, Ron left a good situation here. The, the cupboard is full. We have all these prospects. We have this cap space, blah, 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 blah. Evidently, those prospects were dog shit, and only a few of them really came to fruition. Like, from when Chuck Fletcher took over to now, what are the Ron Hextall picks that have really solidified themselves in the NHL? And I'm not counting Provorov, Sanheim, and Konechny because they were already here. But I could think of two, and it's Wade Allison and it's Morgan Frost, and they're fine players, but they're, what, at best middle six guys on a good day? So... We found out that it was a very overrated prospect pool, and we found out quickly that the tread there wasn't much tread left on the tires of Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek as the leaders of this hockey team. So I think you couple the delusional vision and the bias for action garbage along with the fact that Chuck Fletcher is just a heavily mediocre GM and then you bring in the flat salary cap and the fluke injuries, and you just get this bundle of garbage that has been the last, uh, I, not the first year, because I think the 1920 was a very good year, but the last 24 months or so. And the fact that you couldn't realize that, especially fo following the 2021 COVID shortened season, is crazy to me. And I think it's just the fact that going back to when Fletcher was hired, it was doomed from the beginning. And the last thing I'll say on this before I throw it back to you guys is that the one person I spoke to said, and he stressed this, he said, Chuck wasn't great at his job and he failed, but he was doomed from the beginning when they gave him the president of hockey ops title six months into his tenure. And that too, I was told, was a panic move because Homer was had let it be known that he was retiring at season's end. Hexy was supposed to take over and he had been with the organization for going on five years at that point. And then they do this organizational overhaul in December of 2018 and they just feed Chuck the keys to the kingdom. And I think it's absolutely ridiculous, even how many years removed are we now? Almost four years removed, that six months in the organization, Chuck Fletcher is the end-all be-all of hockey ops. And even if he was a good GM, I think that that was a gamble that was not, you shouldn't have been taking. But I just think that everything coupled together, and this is not excusing him as an executive, heavily mediocre and he failed. He shoulders a lot of blame here, if not the majority. But I do think the guys above him who instilled him in this position six months into being here set him up to fail as well. Danny, what have you been saying? For, for months about the people that Chuck has been working under and how it seemed like they didn't really want to point the finger at Chuck because if they pointed the finger at Chuck, they were kind of pointing the finger at themselves as well. Exactly. Like, they felt... as Well, this is how I felt. They felt as if they played just as big of a part in all of those mistakes as he did, so admitting that he failed would be in notion admitting that they failed as advisors as well. And that's perfectly said. And, you know, like it was when I was watching AV become public enemy number one, and you guys remember this. And look, you know, I like I know Alain Video very sparingly, obviously, but I'm from Quebec. I see it when a Quebecois has just fucking had it and doesn't give a shit anymore. And that was Alain Vigno. <laughs> but everyone was just like, this guy's the devil. He's the problem, blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, you don't think Alain Vigneault knew that this was a pile of dog shit waiting to be set on fire? Like, he knew. So, and then he probably said, I don't give a shit because it's their fault upstairs. 
And then in some level, like, I don't think Fletcher had that same mentality, but, you know, you hear that term, the snake rot from the head down, if I'm not butchering that. And that's kind of like what I've thought about this. Like, yes, AV part of the problem, Chuck Fletcher part of the problem, Brent Flair part of the problem. But like to think that firing AV and putting in Mike Yo would cause the, the clouds to part, to think that firing Chuck Fletcher and putting in Briere and still reporting to Dave Scott to think that clouds would part, it's nonsense. It's And you could acknowledge that Chuck Fletcher failed as a GM and had to be fired, but also acknowledge that he was far from the only problem here. And I think the fact that we're hearing all this stuff and we will be seeing more big shoes to drop is indicative that finally Comcast has realized the same thing. Finally. About damn time. <laughs> last, last question from us, Anthony, is Cutter Gauthier just wrapped up an impressive NCAA season. What do you see the Flyers doing with him from here on out? And do you think what they end up doing will be the best for his development in the end? You know, when when you instill a new regime, which is what we're seeing here, I always like to give the benefit of the doubt you know, maybe I'm just a positive person or try to be. So I'm going to give Danny Breer and who's ever making these types of decisions the benefit of the doubt here. And I think John Tortorella is going to play a big, crucial role here as we go forward. And I think that they have to make the right decision, right? Because Cutter Goatsy, and look, this is not accounting for whoever they draft in three months' time in, at the draft. But he, as of today, is their crown jewel. He is the only guy that has a snowball's chance in hell at being a superstar in this league. Do I think he ultimately just ends up becoming a good first-line player? But he has that outside chance of being a true game-breaker here. Is that going to happen? Who knows? I'm not a prospect guy, but uh, you've seen a lot of people already talk about, like, oh, you see what Juracek's doing at the pro level in the AHL? Did they fuck up? I mean, to be honest, if you would have taken your check, then people would have been like, oh, my God, you had a first-line caliber player right at your fingertips. You pass on. Like, at the end of the day, like I was told numerous times last summer, we need everything. We need help everywhere. So I think Goatse and Juracek, assuming both of them hit their theoretical ceilings, would have been the proper pick. But to answer your question, I have to believe that they make the right decision because it is imperative. And look, they're going to get a good player this year. Are they going to... In all likelihood, probably not get a top three pick. You're probably not going to get a Fantilli or a Bedard or a Carlson or a Michkov. But I think they're going to, they're probably going to get a top 10 pick and you're going to get a first line player, whether that's, um, what's the guy's name? Will Smith or Brandon Yeager, whoever. I've heard that if you're inside that top 10 to 12, you're going to get a first line caliber player if you play your cards right. So they're going to have more help along the way. I imagine that they're going to add more to their draft uh, capital. But in terms of Cutter Goatsey, I have to believe they make the right pick because it's going to be a crucial, crucial player in their development moving forward. Yeah, I think Cutter, I, I wrote a little quick little blog this morning about what they do with him. And I think what's best for him and the organization is him going back to college with that insane freshman class coming in. Ryan Leonard, Will Smith, and Gabe Peralt are all going to be freshmen next year with BC. Cutter's going to be there another year under his belt, another year under his belt with the World Juniors, uh, a more a, a bigger role with them as well. I just think it, 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 it's, it's a slam dunk in my opinion because we're not going to be good this year, and I would rather him be on a BC team that is loaded than a bottom 10 team which the Flyers are going to be next year so I think him going back to college makes too much sense from an organizational standpoint and from his standpoint why wouldn't you want to go back to college and play with a loaded roster with Will Smith 
and those guys. It just it makes too much sense in my opinion. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right with that. Like they're going to make that ultimate call, and I think you're right that you're going to see a guy have an opportunity to really go back in his sophomore year as in college and really dominate. And one other thing on Cutter Goatsy that I heard from a GM from another team that that interviewed Cutter Goatsy when they're doing their pre-draft interviews that said that he was the best interview and that it's pure captain material and that his teammates love him everywhere he goes. And given what we know about the Flyers' locker room, splintered, as Torch said, and given the fact that they don't have a captain, and I don't imagine they'll have a captain for a long time, hell, they even they only have one alternate captain, for God's sakes. That should tell you all you need to know. I can't help but feel that his character played a large factor in why they took him. And that's not to say there aren't tangible reasons. There's a lot to like about Cutter Gautier from an on-ice skill perspective. But from what I've heard about him from another GM, so outside the Flyers organization, mm-hmm. mention how good of a character and how good of a kid he is. I, I think that that is, I guess, another reason for optimism when it comes to Cutter Gautier. All right, so Cutter Gauthier is the, the next captain of the team. That's what you just said. Danny, write it down. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, when I was on with uh, on Stick to Hockey with Jay, we were actually talking about like uh, the whole captain thing. And to be quite honest, guys, like I know maybe in Philadelphia it's a completely like wild concept to not have a captain for extended periods of time. But like, I wouldn't be surprised if there's no captain here. Not to say that it is Cutter Gauthier, but until a Cutter Gauthier is on this team. Like, you look at Calgary. They haven't had a captain since Mark Giordano left. Like, there are a lot of teams that go a long time without naming a captain. Like, just just to give you an example, like, Toronto's captain right now was John Tavares. Mm-hmm. He was named captain in October of 2019. The previous captain was Dion Phaneuf. There was no captain in between there. So it's not a foreign concept for teams entering multi-year rebuilds to go long stretches without a captain. I think that we could see it. So not to say it is going to be cut or go today, but it might be that long until we see a captain. I'm fine with that. Uh, if they want to take their time naming a, a captain and not name Scott Lawton because he likes the flyers and he likes the, 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 the logo and the crest, I'm fine with that. I just make the right decision. Name a guy captain when it's time to name like when it really hits us it's going to hit the fan base it's going to hit john tortorella it's going to hit everybody at once we'll know who the captain is when it's time like tort said we'll know the cap the captain will arise when the captain arises yeah and you know like you don't want to kind of force feed it like i remember someone telling me the first year that Giroux was captain in 2013 he was captain, but team in him was captain, right? So you don't want to just kind of do something to appease the fans. And to your point, I think that at this point, Scott Lawton would be the low-hanging fruit. Obviously, if Sean Couturier ever exists again, I shouldn't <laughs> say that. I know he's down, he's dealing with a lot of injuries. But, like, you know, I'm fine with Couturier coming back. Obviously, good player. But, like, he still has that Giroux Voracek vibe to him. And that just, like... I just want nothing to do with that era anymore. I just, I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear about it at all. I obviously, Ivan Provorov has seen a letter ripped off his sweater, and who knows if he's even here next year. Like, I, I don't think the captain's on this team because yeah. even from another standpoint, Scott Lawton, like, if we're being honest, guys, Scott Lawton on a cup team is what? A third line left wing? Fourth line for, center, in my opinion. At best. Yeah. Yeah. 4C, third line left wing. That's yeah. how I've always kind of pegged him. You know, good Swiss Army knife, a guy who can move up and down your lineup, but in a fully healthy roster. Yeah, so we agree on that. And I do think that not to say that your captain has to be the best player, but 
he has to be one of the best players, right? I, like I he has. I agree more. Absolutely. Like I, you know, I love the days where Jason Smith got trod out there on the third pair wearing the C. I loved it, but it's not the same. It's not the thing. It's not the same anymore. It's a star-driven league, and you need the guy to lead from the top. And I'm not saying that he has to be your first-line center, like we see it in Colorado. McKinnon is in there. Captain Landeskog is. Yeah. But I do think it needs to be a player that plays in like your top four, or your top six. Landeskog has like the same kind of vibe that Lawton has, but Landeskog is actually really, really, really. Skill too. <laughs> exactly. That's <laughs> so. It. Yeah, Anthony. I just want to thank you for coming on again. It's always a it's always a good conversation when you come on, man. I really appreciate it. No sweat, guys. Thanks for having me on. You guys do great work, and let me know anytime. I really enjoyed this. Uh, we're definitely gonna hit I'll you up again, you, man. Thank you. <laughs> Take it easy. Have All a good right. one. Thank you once again to Anthony Demarco. Now becoming a recurring guest on here, and I'm glad that's the case. Yeah, he's a tremendous guest to have on the podcast. Good dude, and he knows hockey. Very, a lot of insight well. today. A lot of insight. I, I was going to ask him if he wanted to talk about the McEwen to <laughs> L.A. move and the, the Patrick Brown to Ottawa move, but I feel like we would just be sitting here talking about fucking nothing if we did Absolutely that. Absolutely nothing. Now, I thought I thought we did a good job of asking the the pressure points in the fan base, the big talking points in the fan base right now. Absolutely. I don't even uh, – you might even know this happened, but the Flyers signed Will Zomlik. Zomlik? To a one-year ELC deal, he played for, and now I might, not might, I am definitely butchering this name of the university he played for, Bemibiji, something like that, oh, like B-E-M-I-D-J-I, State University, he had 21 points in 36 games, one-year ELC, I mean, I don't know anything about him, so just to throw that out there. Anytime we sign a guy like that, I always think back to Mike Vecchioni. And how people were telling me he was going to be a good player. Mike Vecchione. I haven't heard that, that name in 88 fucking years, Danny. Holy shit. That's what those kind of deals always remind he me of. He still plays, you know that? He, he, he plays in the AHL. He's like a bon, bonafide AHL, like, Cal O'Reilly type guy down there now. Good for Vec. Yeah. So he's kind of made himself a little home. But what I want to talk about for five, ten minutes real quick is the draft. And obviously that's the, the main vocal point in a lot of Flyers fans' heads right now, including mine. I mean, it's the only thing I think it's about. mine too. It's the only thing you really can think about. I mean. Yeah. So quite literally the only thing. I mean, what the, the best thing that's happened before Chuck getting fired is Ron Hextall getting fired. That's pretty much what we were celebrating a couple years ago. It's the only thing that we have gotten or – been able to get excited about but right now we are one two three four five six, the seventh worst team i think let me call that again two three four five six yeah we are the seventh worst team in the league right now montreal in, we are trending to be the fifth worst <laughs> we are montreal is trending a point behind us and then arizona is two points behind us so um hopefully they take us over because montreal and arizona hopping in front of us and us being f- Fifth worst again. I think we were fourth worst, and we jumped. We dropped back once last, uh, one spot last year. Hopefully, I mean, you gotta think Arizona passes us, right? I mean, they've been playing pr- pretty good hockey for the last two Chris, three weeks. They just got a point on the road in Colorado. That is something the Philadelphia Flyers won't do. They're <laughs> passing us. 
<laughs> can I can I hold out hope that maybe Chicago passes us? They're nine points behind us. Dude, but... I've been looking at the Ducks, and the way Gibson has been playing, he might steal some points down the stretch here. Please do, Gibson. Don't I count will it cry. out. And they got some scoring output, so definitely don't count it out. Like, they could get some Mickey wins if they catch a team all Because you have to think, like, at this point in the season, a team going in to play the Anaheim Ducks, they're not really getting up for that game. So they might be able to catch a couple teams off guard. Hopefully. I'm, I'm praying that we finish fourth or fifth worst, Danny. And I know the, I, I know the fourth spot is the is the dreaded spot that everybody knows that you, dro- you get dropped back in the draft at number four. I think you have, like, a... Isn't like a thirty percent chance to drop back a spot or something like that if you have uh, if you finish fourth worst with this draft lottery they have now. Um, but top five is ideal, dude. Like top four, if we actually landed the fourth overall pick, I'm I'm waking up happier than a pig and shit, dude. That top four, the big four, is Bedard, Mitchkov, Fantilli, and Carlson. And if we can land any one of them, I'm gonna have a jersey in. Eight hours. Tops. Dude, there was a report that came out that apparently Chuck Fletcher wasn't too keen on the idea of drafting Mitch Cobb. Did you see this? <laughs> no. I, who gives well, a fuck what he thinks? No, 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 no. But I want, I want to just say this. Like, if he's thinking that way, I wonder if there's other teams that have some pause on drafting a player like Mitch Cobb because of the weight, because of the, I mean, I mean we saw with Fedotov, the, the issues with Russia and the war. I wonder if, even if we got four or five, if Mitch Cobb would still come to us. I wonder. See, that's a really, actually a really good thing that, that I actually want to talk about because the whole, oh, I'm scared of Mitch Kov because of the um, Fedotov thing. And, yeah, it's definitely a worry. And I think, uh, I do think you're right. I think NHL uh, NHL GMs are going to be scared of Mitch Kov and the contract situation and everything that's going on with Russia. But, it is kind of the outlier, and that's something that me and Derek have gone back and forth with, and I, I just kind of want to like refresh you with it because it, it, I mean, it is kind of the outlier. Like Fedotov, what happened with him sucks. What happened with? Uh, what... No, I agree. Like this isn't like something that's happening like across the board. I, no, I just you got like in ter- especially in terms of waiting. I wonder if that would give some orgs pause. Oh, absolutely. Organizations that aren't us, like. Columbus is going to want no interest in Mitchkov. I think Chicago would have interest in Mitchkov because they they tore it down to the studs. Uh, Anaheim, Anaheim, I don't know, maybe. Arizona, I think Arizona and Chicago are the two teams that would make sense. But, I mean, you have Russians, Kaprizov, Kucherov, Ovechkin, Malkin, Panarin, Shizurkin, Kokechov with uh, with Carolina, Shizurkin. All these Russian guys have come over. So, I'm not worried... That Mishkov like doesn't come over. The contract situation doesn't scare me, and I think Brent Flair was on Jason. I don't want to butcher his last name. Jason Mertidis. Mertidis. Yes, thank you. I was on his show last year, and he was talking about how he wouldn't be afraid to take Mishkov second, and that was almost a year ago. And Mishkov has been playing really, really well in the VHL this year he played a little bit in the KHL but I mean he's just going to be a superstar and with the timeline that we're now going to be in if we land four and he's there I don't even think you think about it I I, I think you skip up to the podium with a Mitzkov jersey in your hand laughing like, oh, I just got a superstar at four and I don't give a fuck if it takes two years for him to come <laughs> over because we're not going to be good for two years Yeah, and he's going to come over 
These Russians... Much like it's, how... Uh, I'm sorry, go. No, it's good. It's good for Russia, for these guys to come over and make Russia look good and make money. It's good. We, I just listed all these guys that have come over, and what happened to Fedotov sucks, but it's it's the outlier. It's absolutely the outlier. He's, Mitchkov is going to come over. KHL and Mitchkov... The KHL has already told Mitchkov that they will honor that and let him not like let him leave. Like, it's already been said and done. I, I'm not scared of Mitchkov. The only way I'd be scared of Mitchkov if I was like Columbus and I'm like I'm not trying to wait two three years for you to come over. For us, it makes sense. We're not going to be good for two three years. Arizona plays in a fucking college stadium. They'll wait two years. Chicago, they tore it down to the studs. They'll wait two years. But those are the only three teams that I could see debating them, and that's why I need Arizona to hop over us. Bad. And Columbus, if they land first overall, they're not going to take Mitchkov, so I just get past Columbus, and then hopefully we're there ahead of Arizona, and you take him, because he's a superstar. He's going to be a star in this league. So Who knows? We might might end up getting some luck and moving up ourselves. But to Anthony's yes. point of us falling ass backwards into uh an unintentional rebuild i think mitchkov fits that that mold even more like they're falling ass backward into a guy who fits their timeline per- more perfectly than the other guys would yeah i mean the other guys would be great of course don't get me wrong but it would just line up better and it wouldn't give them some sort of false confidence that they could be better than they are in the moment that that's really the thing to me is like if you take mitchkov it kind of cements like all right we're really committing to this plan here Absolutely, I think he he just aligns with our with our plan beautifully, beautifully. I mean, I like I said, I would skip up to the podium and take him. Real quick before we end this, I just want to talk about Corey Promen. He is the prospect guy, which I'm sure I mean I'm sure you've read a lot of his articles over the years. He is the uh, the prospect guy for the Athletic, and he came out with a list like a week ago. And like Will Scouching, somebody that I look up to when it comes to prospect, he is a, a terrific prospect guy. If you haven't already been following him, follow him. He was talking about on his last episode. This list, and I respect Promen. He he puts in the work, obviously. So, but I I, I can't say I agree with this list. Listen to this list, Danny. One Bedard, two Mitchkov, three Fantilli, four Carlson, five Nate Danielson. Six Will Smith, seven Dave David Reinbacher, eight Daniel Boot, nine Colby Barlow, and then ten Samuel Hanzik. Now this list leaves out Oliver Moore, Zach Benson, Andrew Cristal, Dale Deborski, Ryan Leonard, and Ed, Edward Shala. Leads all of them out of the top ten. You know, like th- these draft guys, I feel like they approach this how people who think they're big braining fantasy football approach fantasy in my opinion like i'm just getting all these sleepers in here i just want to be different i don't want my list to to be the consensus i'm, I'm a well-known like a highly intelligent prospect guys like I, that's what that feels like to me I, yeah I, I obviously i'm not sitting here saying i know more than Corey promen like I, I i respect his his ranking but i just i can't sit here and say i agree with it like how is yeah. zach benson not in your top 10 oliver I mean, moore is this year's cutter gochier like, he's going to he's scott skyrocketed up boards Pull up 10 other mock drafts from other well-known prospect guys, and I guarantee they they have more of a consensus than what that list has. Yeah, it's just I, – I just don't agree with it. I, it's, and then this Nicole, is the guy that had us as the number one prospect pool throughout the mid-2010s, and 
that prospect pool ended up being kind of atrocious. Yeah, DeMarco just kind of slammed <laughs> that prospect <laughs> pool. I mean, he was right. Like the, it wasn't very good. Yeah, it, our development like, sucks. I, I, I was man, just making a joke. I was going to actually say that. Uh, yeah, the players ended up not being the best. Like, Allison and Frost are the best players out of those two, and I still think there's room to grow for both of those guys. But I, I do think there's blame to be made with the development side of things. Like, I, If you would have take, taken those same, same exact prospects and brought them to a different team with a better development system, who's to say that they don't turn into different players? You know, it's just I I think our development fucking blows. Our our drafting's still to be seen, but the development is just the worst thing about this team right now, and that's something that they really need to fix. But that's I another just, thing I'm excited to see with Danny Breer because we know, like dating back to the last couple of years, Danny Breer has been a voice in a lot of these young players' ears in helping them develop, teaching them, how, like, especially with Konechny. Apparently he was in his ear all offseason telling him, you got to get to the center of the ice more, you got to get near the net more. Yeah. And I know Konechny has slowed down as of late, but he still has scored the most goals that he has. You know who else Danny Briere liked? Morgan Frost. No, but, yeah. But, you know, another guy he, Dan, uh, Danny Briere apparently st- stuck his neck out for? Who's that? Hayden Hoskin. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Okay. <laughs> John Tortorello came in the... His first day on the job, he came in and looked at the front office like, guys, this guy fucking sucks. And we yeah. didn't hear from Hayden Hoskin ever again. Thought that was pretty funny. De- DeMarco mentioning that it, that the vibe of the the front office room was Tortorella just bullying everyone <laughs> is hilarious. Because cause it kind of just confirms what the fans really thought. And that's kind of scary at the end of the day, that what we all thought, the dysfunction, the lack of direction – was was true the whole they didn't know what the fuck they were doing the whole time that's <laughs> no insane. they like, didn't you would think that maybe like they would have some kind of behind the scenes plan that we we weren't we didn't have much insight on but no they were just as fucking confused as we were you know the funniest thing about that entire situation is chuck fletcher when he hired torts said that torts is going to come in here and like really weed out the guys that aren't going to be here and <laughs> chuck <laughs> like he just slowly turns to Chuck and is like, "You're the guy that's fucking gone, dude." And Chuck's oh, like, "Ah, oh, fuck." It's about who who won't be. <laughs> yeah. Chuck, Chuck uh, went before JVR went. That's yeah. wild. <laughs> I love this fucking organization, baby. They never fail to make me laugh. Oh my gosh. We'll wrap this one up though. That's 83 minutes. That was a fun one. That was that was an incredible episode 92 with. Our guest, Anthony DeMarco. He will be back on again, for sure. But uh, you can follow us on all socials, at the Liberty L. Follow me on Twitter, at T-O-I Danny. Follow Chris, at Chris Stumps. Go Floor.